this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 4, our wrap-up of Nash Tag 2022. This conversation asks a diverse panel of industry stakeholders from Big Pharma, Small Pharma, and Leading Edge Diagnostics to join special guest Professor Ian Rowe and our co-hosts to discuss the last session of Nash Tag 2022, the two fireside chats exploring what we all must do to improve the clinical endpoints used to evaluate efficacy, safety, and tolerability of drugs and development. This conversation shares candid opinions from seven stakeholder voices, three of them new to the podcast, about events at the conference some have called the major inflection point in Nash drug development. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Why don't we switch to Fireside Chat? Because there are at least seven or eight facets of that that I think are probably worth talking about. I sent out notes for this meeting and I had a question in it. And I'm just wondering, on a one to six scale, where um, one is completely disheartened and six is over the moon. How did you feel at the end of that session, the Fireside Chat session? Brave one, go first. Aaron Quirk. I'd say I was a, I was a pretty, I'm a solid five coming out of that session, Roger. The main reason is by the very virtue that it happened. You know, that we um, were able to have representatives from a range of regulatory authority alongside academic thought leaders and pharmaceutical developer representatives and diagnostic representative developers and sharing our thoughts and ideas. So that's something that you don't often see happen, you know, in a public setting, I would say. And number two is I do think that there were some real issues you know, that were discussed and some opportunities, some doorways to opportunities that were potentially opened as a result. For that reason, I'm on the optimistic end of the spectrum and pretty strongly so. Okay. Next answer. Amy Articolo. So Roger, I would agree with everything that Aaron said, and I would say I'm a solid five. What I really loved about this is the amazing forum that everyone came together. It is not easy to get all of those stakeholders in one place to share not only what was, what is, and what the future could look like. And kudos to everyone that put it together. Stephen, you did a fantastic job at really setting the stage in that initial presentation and then bringing everybody together to have a discussion. So I really applaud how it happened and the way it happened and really was optimistic at the future of what things could look like. What I hope to continue to see and what I heard was the collective we. We, all of us, have to come together and work collectively towards this goal and ambition to really bring therapeutics in the hands of patients so that their lives are improved. That's that's what I heard, right? What I look forward to seeing and hope to see as I'm a big fan of, okay, why does it matter? What is this going to do for the patients and how are we going to do it? What is the next best step? Is it retrospective analyses? Is it more of a perspective design? That's what I would really love to see happen as a next step and hope to see happen as the collective way. Just parking this note after we get to answer, Stephen, two days in a row we did not talk about nail it seems to me that part of the way to respond to what Amy just said is for you to talk about that a little bit. But I was hoping that that would be a segue to do that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just want to hear, I want to hear from Rachel and from Ian first, and then, we, and then I'm going to ask you to do exactly that. Rachel Zayas. So I'm going to go with five cubed. I'm going to say that the fireside chat was a five for me as well. I think that having diverse stakeholders, 
the FDA, patient advocacy groups, therapeutics, diagnostics, all in the same room in one constructive conversation really will drive the field forward with innovation. So it was exciting to see that conversation. Good science and good analytics leads to more questions than answers. And some of the key takeaways for me from the fireside chat was if there's so many limitations with histology, this begs the question, if we should stop correlating biomarkers with histology and how will this translate to different endpoints. So I think that there's a lot of questions to be had here. And this really has set the stage for constructive conversations over the next 12 months. So solid pipe for me. Okay, Ian, you're left. Ian Rowe. We've, we've talked a lot about this topic and I very much enjoyed the conversations and I thought that, you know, there were some clear steps forward. There's still a very long way to go. The chats were a good start again. So six is over the moon, then I was probably closer to four, maybe even a little bit less. And one of the most important questions that was asked by the FDA is, what do you do when you do a biopsy for cirrhosis in the clinic? Well, we don't and haven't for five years, probably 10 years, because we know that the non-invasive tests are so good. The issue is around, not about cross-sectional analyses, about how good they are, because we, we know that and we use them all of the time. The issue is about what happens prospectively. And because the natural history of liver disease is long. Vlad talked about natural history of cirrhosis and early cirrhosis of being five years, 10 years. It means that the time to accumulate sufficient data about a non-invasive test of whatever types accumulated prospectively and that shows a reduction as a surrogate in a trial means that we are still a very long way away. And it seems relatively unlikely, at least in the way that I heard what was said, that the FDA will move from biopsy to a non-invasive test based on cross-optional data because it might, the leap of faith that Michael suggested to them, it's exactly that. We don't know whether changes in non-invasive tests and what magnitude of changes in non-invasive tests are linked to an improvement in outcome, same as we didn't know for biopsy. So it may be that we'd end up jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. The FDA have got an extremely difficult job to try and balance that. We talked a little bit about favourite slides, so I'm going to tell you my favourite slide. And that was from Dr Shapiro. Nash plus cash equals ash. And the balance here is about whose cash it is. I see patients all the time with end-stage liver disease. I work in a transplant centre and look after patients with HCC. We need treatments that are effective at reducing the rate of disease progression. But at the moment, we're talking about investor cash. We're talking about company cash. We're talking about patient risk. If we take risks with non-invasive tests by changing, we might delay licensing of effective drugs perhaps but what we might also do is transfer that cash that's turned into ash from the from the private sector into the sector for caring for patients the most important thing to me is that we get drugs to market that are effective in doing what we want them to do preventing progression of liver disease you know we have to see some of the data from the outcome studies before we can have any confidence about the impact of biopsy or non-invasive tests Stephen Harrison yeah and I, I think that's absolutely true and it's interesting to hear the four viewpoints and whether it's a four or a five, either way, I think everybody walked away with this with a positive viewpoint. What I'll say is, is uh, in the military, hope is not a strategy. And I think that applies to drug development in NASH as well. But the other thing I would say is a movement always starts with one person, and it's validated when the second person joins the movement. And here, what I've heard from you collectively say is multiple people join the movement Saturday night, including the FDA. And understand that 
the FDA has to be very calculated in the response that they provide. And you could see that in Dr. Turner's, as you looked at Dr. Turner, you could see the wheels were turning in his head and he was very calculated in what he would say to Aaron and what he would say to everybody else. But you could read between the lines a bit and understand that he is battling bureaucracy and he is battling an institution that is slow to adapt to change. And he wants that firepower, that ammunition to take forward so that we can help drive change. What I don't want to abandon in the short term is the fact that we are beholden to some sort of histopathology in the sense that we have trials that are currently enrolling. We have trials that are currently screening patients. And while I think it's fantastic that we can jump to a discussion about NITs as an endpoint, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that today, right now, we are still screening people using histopathology. And so we also need to focus efforts on how we can improve that particular aspect of it. While we look forward to the day, we replace that with an NIT. We have a twofold job to do. We have to get a clear understanding of how we can use histopathology in the short term. And I thought Dr. Turner was clear when he said he is willing to listen to alternative endpoints relative to histopathology. And we need to work on that immediately. Number two, bring forth the data that we need to generate to show him and his colleagues at the agency, particularly the statisticians, what it will take to move away from histopathology as a surrogate and then as a full endpoint. So to do that, one of the things that I've been able to sit back and think about a little bit is what's the role of the consortia that have come together to date to try to address these issues. And we have Litmus and we have Nimble and we have Goldmine that Rohit Lumba has initiated. All of those data sets are going to be very helpful in trying to address the NITs from three different contexts of use. The diagnosis of the at-risk NASH patient, monitoring for therapeutic efficacy and long-term outcomes. But there's still a gap and that gap is twofold. One, nobody has broken down the stovepipes of what each pharma company is doing individually to bring them together in an agnostic biorepository to ask the right questions that the agency and that everybody else is looking for. We can do that, and that's why we started Nail NIT. So that's the retrospective part of that. But furthermore, there's a way that we can augment and bridge the gaps between these other consortia. And so we want to do a further progressive or even just a prospective trial where we enroll many, many patients collectively in a real world setting, not in an academic setting, but in a situation where it's likely these drugs are going to be used in the real world. So generating that data prospectively in a community setting, not using liver biopsy, but driving the whole paradigm from an NIT perspective will be very helpful as well. And so those are the two aims of NAIL NIT that were launched at NASHTAG this year. But I would say the third component that I'm walking away from NASHTAG thinking, and, and it's got me working on it today even, is we need to put out a paper describing exactly what the issues are and how far we've come with NITs and what that data could mean and provide some degree of assessment on where we stand today and what we still need to do to get us across the finish line. We need that paper. And then the second one is, why can't we take the guidance document? The FDA was very clear. Dr. Turner was very clear. It's still a draft. Why is it a draft? Because there's some issues that haven't been resolved. Can we potentially use 
Nashtag and the momentum that's been generated to maybe add color to that guidance now that hasn't been done yet. So I think I'm walking away with a mandate that the FDA is receptive to change. We have generated more data than people individually, even myself, have realized that we had. We just need to pull that data together and see where we are. And maybe we don't get to an NIT this year, even in cirrhosis, but I do think we can begin to change the paradigm in a much faster way than we previously thought we could do. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another stimulating conversation. Don't be surprised if it relates in some way to Martin Luther King Day. Until then, keep your distance mask up so you can stay safe and surf on. And we can see you soon on the Surfing Nash Tsunami Podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>